What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Styles Files. As always, I am your host, Alan Styles. Welcome to another glorious episode, and welcome to the best 20 to 60 minutes of your week. If you've been listening, thank you for supporting. Shout out to the day ones. And if this is your first time, thank you for joining. Okay, a little bit of a different setup. Uh, not really. Um, this week, going to start, basically do a shorter version of my normal show, uh, but the sports portion is going to be taken up as I am going to be a guest on the LAE, also known as the Lucas Askew Experience. Um, Lucas is a co-worker and friend of mine who is very passionate about college sports, uh, especially college football. So we're going to play the segment that I did with him um, to kind of end the show. But besides that, everything else will be the same. Um, So, yeah, let's get right on into it. This week, we're going to be, you know, talking about how it's kind of been difficult with, you know, you know, these conflicting views on food and how to be healthy. Talk about dealing with uh, my dear cat Shasta's fleas. Um, talk about music festivals, things to do before the summer is over, um, and the craziest thing I've seen all week. All right. So enough talking about it. Let's be about it, which is talking about it. So I guess we are going to talk about it. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So man, it has been tough and I know I'm not the only one on this. And what basically what happened is my mom came over like two weeks ago. Uh, She came to one of my hockey games and then stopped by the apartment after. And what she played, she was like, oh, throw on this Netflix show. Uh, It's called uh, like the paleo the paleo life, right? Or whatever, you know, it's a documentary. Basically, it's about this guy who wrote books about, you know, a paleo lifestyle and the benefits of that and why it's so healthy. And he has people on the show that has shown like medicinal uses for how you use a paleo lifestyle to get better, right? In certain situations. Um, And it was really cool, but obviously in paleo, You know, there's like no grains, no beans, no legumes. Okay, Uh, you're you can obviously eat meat, stuff like that. And I'm starting to get real confused, man. I'm starting to get real confused because it's super tough to keep up with everything going on, Um, you know, when it comes to your health and everybody, especially when you're trying to do well. Right. It's 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 kind of frustrating and it's disheartening because it's really confusing and you don't know what to believe, who to believe, because, um, you know, and I'm just getting to the point where it's like at the end of the day, you just got to do things that, you know, make you feel good. And, you know, as long as your doctor says things are okay, uh, just kind of go from there. Right. I mean, you, you watch a show like that where obviously, They're just everything needs to be in moderation. I think that's the bottom line. Right. Because obviously they're eating meat and things like that, but they're not eating enough meat. Like I've had situations where I was doing paleo and I was eating so much meat to make up for the fact that I wasn't eating those carbs like rice and potatoes, um, 
which definitely, which I'm assuming is not very healthy for you either. So it's all in moderation. On the opposite side, and I don't know, you know, if you're a vegan out there, please don't get upset with me. You know, I have friends that are vegan and things like that, and they're, you know, because they aren't eating meat, you know, their philosophy is they can house as much beans, rice, you know, carbs as they want because they're replacing um, what they're missing from not eating the meat, right, when it comes to protein, things like that. And if you watch the Paleo Way, so, you know, I, I'll have a day where um, I don't eat any meat, right? But like I said, I'm eating a ton of rice, carbs, things like that to fill up. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, I just had a really good clean eating day. Then I watched the Paleo uh, Life or whatever it was called. And now I'm like, well, shoot, you know, what what really is the best approach here? And it can just be very frustrating. And really, it all started. It started so innocently because my mom, you know, was still over and she asked what we were having for dinner or, you know, what the situation was. I asked her if she wanted to stay for dinner. And when we told her tilapia, she basically freaked out. So everything kind of started on a, you know, and on a fairly innocent note. I mean, she basically just told us that tilapia, for those of you who don't know, tilapia isn't actually a singular type of fish. Tilapia, the term and the name, represents over, I, I, I don't want to get the name wrong, but it's definitely over 20 different types and species of fish that fit a certain like construct. But tilapia, there, you cannot look point at a fish and say, that's a tilapia, right? Um like you can say that's salmon, that's trout. You can't say that's tilapia because there's no technically no such thing in the, you know, literal sense of that fish right there. It belongs to that kind of species, if you will. So basically, if you get a bag of tilapia, you and your loved one or your friend, whoever you're eating with, you take out two pieces. You guys could be eating two different fish, which is kind of weird. It's real weird. Okay. Um, so that's really how this thing started. Cause my mom is like, I don't eat bottom feeders, which I always call her out on cause she eats shrimp. Um, but everyone, you know, kind of has their vices, but she, you know, she doesn't eat bottom feeders, things like that. So when we said tilapia, she's like, tilapia isn't even, uh, a real fish, right? That's how she kind of led with it. Then after we read, we're like, okay, that's how, you know, that's what it act, what it actually means. But it is still kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that kind of led us down the rabbit hole. She's like, well, why don't you throw on this Netflix show? Luckily, it was only 30 minutes because, you know, I've been in situations with my mom before. And I'm sure she's just like a lot of other moms. She'll just say something like that. And it'll be like a two-hour documentary. And I'm like, bruh, I'm not really trying to you know, sit here and watch this right now. Um, but as soon as I saw the 30 minutes, I was like, thank the Lord, we can get through this, uh, you know, and kind of keep it moving. But it, it really is confusing, man. And I've just kind of come to the the understanding in my life that I just have to do things that, you know, make me feel the best I can feel, right? Um, I've said multiple times on this show that, you know, I'm blessed enough to get lunch. Lunch is provided at work. Um you know, one thing that I've been trying to do lately is when you think about it, uh, when you think about doing eating too much of something, it's like, okay, well, if there's beef at lunch, um, 
and then you know you have something else at dinner that's a lot of meat in one day and then you times that by five days a week right then you get to the weekend where it's like weekend you know what i mean cheat days and then you look back on like a two-week span and you're like wow that was a lot of x or that was a lot of y or that was a lot of z and you know so i'm not this is not going to turn into a dietary show. I'm not telling you to not eat meat. I'm not telling you to not eat grains. I just think that at the end of the day, I'm to the point where I am so frustrated with trying to figure out which is the way to go that I think at the end of the day, it's just all about moderation, whatever it is. You know, until uh, your doctor literally says, hey, don't eat meat anymore, right? Or until your doctor says, hey, don't eat any grains or potatoes or any, you know, kind of empty carbs anymore, um, then I think you're all good to do it. What they're going to tell you is do these things in moderation, which I think, you know, clearly makes the both sense, uh, the best sense. So, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, I wanted to start the show because I know I'm not alone. And I sat there after my mom left uh, and my girlfriend had thrown out the whole bag of tilapia and we couldn't figure out what to eat. I think we ended up having like zucchini noodles with you know um red sauce and we use like ground turkey for the meat and we're and i'm like look that's as healthy as we're gonna get we're trying here and you know i kind of just looked out the window and it was just like man like let's just go get a burger like at this point like you you don't try not to get overwhelmed and i think that's what happens a lot with people and luckily i'm not necessarily trying to lose weight but especially with people that are in those situations it can be overwhelming and then you just want to say screw it and just you know say whatever you know and and i don't think that's the case i think you should take everything take that you know the person that uh, sits there and says, well, my grandfather ate meat every day and had a glass of whiskey and lived to 95. Take that person with the grain of salt and also take, you know, the person that has sworn never to eat anything that comes from uh, an animal again. Take them with the grain of salt, too. And maybe hopefully I'm not saying you can't decide to choose one of those paths, but hopefully you can use them both in a way that helps you get to where you need to be it's all about where you need to be not what someone else does or what someone else has told you because there's so much information out there um you don't want to overload yourself and then end up just saying i'm going to do whatever the hell i want because either way something is going to be wrong and that's kind of how i felt uh sunday evening i just felt like i don't know what else to do at this point we're trying our best and i had to kind of take a step back and say you know what at the end of the day um, there's always going to be conflicting, um, you know, arguments about what works, what doesn't work. You have to choose what's best for you until, you know, your doctor says, hey, you know, I think you should do this more or that more. And then you go from there. But, you know, trying to live in this world, you know, it's almost like religion at this point. It's getting very close to religion where it's like you just have to choose one and go. Right. It's like, well, I'm on this side or I'm on this side when it's like in reality, you don't have to do anything. You can do whatever fits you. You know, if you want kind of, and I kind of, well, what I talked about last year with Chance being the uh, the buffet Christian rapper. You know, you can take uh, some some ideas from 
veganism. You can take some ideas from, you know, that kind of old school way of having a hearty steak or, you know, a nice piece of chicken. And you can find something in the middle that fits you. Or you can go straight vegan if you want to go vegan. Or you could eat meat every day if you want to eat meat. It's your choice. But if you are trying to, you know, be healthy, just make sure you're not um, overthinking the process. And remember at the end of the day, you know, um, there's always going to be somebody that is doing the opposite of you or some somebody that's doing something different than you. Don't worry about that. Just worry about what makes the most sense to what you have going on. Okay. So another thing that I've been dealing with um, this past week is, like I said, I've said on this show before, never had a pet before, my beautiful cat Shasta, um, besides Sally, my salamander, you know, when I was in middle school or elementary school. So I'm learning all these different things. So basically, you know, Shasta had been scratching a lot, like really, really scratching. You know, you go through the, the course of the the week right weeks turn into two weeks two weeks turn into a month and i don't know i mean what she started doing she started doing this kind of biting like growling type thing on her skin and that's when we were kind of like first we thought it was funny because of the sound she's kind of like snorting then we thought well that's kind of weird and the other thing is she's an indoor cat you know i've told i've said on this show that you know we do have a, a leash for her so we've let her out I don't know, probably a handful of times, five times. But, you know, it's been no more than 15 minutes, I'd say, at most. So we're thinking, okay, there's no way she has fleas, okay? Then we start thinking, okay, this has been going on for a little long. She's been biting um, a lot. So we're sitting there. We're watching Handmaid's Tale. Last week we're having a you know grand old time, having some cocktails it's on hump day, getting through the week, all right? And we decide to Google. And we decide to Google. And what I did was basically that one spot she kept biting, it looked like more coarse, like it was from her going at it. It wasn't as smooth as the rest of her fur. So I decided to take a peek, and I took a peek, and I saw all these, like, brownish red dots, okay? So the brownish red dots, and we immediately Googled them, and it's called flea dirt. So flea dirt um, is basically flea poop. It's a nice way for flea poop. And they say if you uh, take a wet white um, paper towel or something and wipe it, and if you see if it's reddish brown, that means it's flea dirt because of the blood that they have been sucking from your animal. So that was great. Um, So we're pretty sure she has fleas at this point. But... Uh, you know, we haven't seen a live flea yet, yet. So we look up some stuff. We see dish soap is a great way to go about it. Um, first we start looking up the vet, can't get her into a vet, you know, anytime that past week. Uh, so we start looking up dish soap. Dish soap sounds great. So what else do we do? We stop Handmaid's Tale and we gave Shasta a shower. Um, and she did not like it very, very much. And I have the scars on my hand to prove it. Um, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. And that's not the worst part. The worst part is we finish, we dry her off. You know, she doesn't seem to be biting as much. And we're thinking, great, you know, that crisis avoided. We keep Googling uh, just because, right? And I see something that says, be sure to check 
uh, like the where her tail starts. I'm like, okay, you know, we just washed her up. She's good to go. I check her. I see two fleas having a play date. And I realize that she isn't good to go. And we have a problem on our hands. Uh, fast forward, literally um, a week later, we have went in. We got her spray. We got her front line. She still has fleas. Um, seems to be less and we don't know what to do, right? She jumps on the bed. People are like, you know, we Google. It's like clean the bedding, things like that. And we're like, well, her bedding is our bedding. Um, she jumps on every night. What are we going to do? We've, we sp- we've been spraying the bed every night. Uh, I've heard way worse horror stories, like people getting bit by the fleas. Um, it hasn't gotten to that point. Like I said, it's been a week. So we're, we're kind of keeping them at bay. We finally got a... Uh, a vet appointment we're going in at the end of this week so hopefully we can get this whole thing situated because it's pretty it's pretty gnarly it's pretty gnarly and of course the first thing you google is like can fleas attach themselves to humans can they you know and then uh, for those of you who are actually curious they will bite humans but they don't try to kick it on humans only um only the cats or dogs so um, yeah, so now we're trying to figure out how the hell she got them. And it was kind of scary because the first one was, you know, if you have a dog nearby and our neighbor has a dog. And we're like, okay, but I mean, she'll come outside, but they don't ever interact. Um, the scarier thing was we learned that fleas can jump through screen doors. Uh, yeah. And where does Shasta and probably most cats like to hang out? Screen doors, Right. But that's not my problem. My problem is the fact that we've been paying for flea treatment every month since we got her. What the hell are we paying for? Like, I almost took the flea treatment and went back to the pet store. Like, I want my money back. This was not supposed to happen, okay? She wasn't supposed to get fleas because we pay 40, 50, 60 bucks for this treatment. So at this point, what, what are we paying for? What are we paying for, okay? Um, I told you guys about the ratatouilles that, you know, go along the railroad on the fence. Turns out uh, that obviously, I mean, shouldn't be a surprise because they're nasty, but uh, rats can have fleas too. So maybe they, one of the fleas hopped off and hopped on to our, our poor chassis. We have no clue what happened, all right? Yesterday sitting there watching TV and not, not, you know how people are like, I'm an opossum. I'm nice. You know, when you see me, ever see, ever seen that on social media? Like when you see me, don't run. I'm more scared of you than you are me. That thing looked like it was ready to knock somebody out. Like it, I, it took my soul and gave it back and just said, don't forget that that happened. Okay. So I know that mofo got some fleas too. And those fleas probably don't quit. All right. So the flea saga continues. We don't really know. We're just waiting to go to the vet. You know, we can't keep spraying her and showering her because it's just not working. Um, I don't think it's an epidemic because, like I said, people said that you can, you know, really see them jumping if there is a problem. So we're not there yet. But just a word to the wise, man, even if you have an indoor cat. And we also read that even if you let a cat outside for three, five, whatever amount of minutes, they can get fleas now obviously that's that's like anything else right like 
uh, if you do something once, this could happen, but it shouldn't be that likely, especially if you're buying $60 flea treatment. But uh, here we are. So hopefully that gets taken care of this this week and we can just move on. All right. Okay. so next. This is not an overrated, underrated or properly rated segment, but I do have a question kind of. Uh, in the midst of festival season. And I think when people, or music festivals, that is, and when people think music festivals, I think they think the summer, but really music festivals at this point are year round. You know, I know one's in the winter, you know, obviously they're in the summer, they start in the spring, and then, you know, I'm going to one in the fall. So my question is, are music festivals overrated? That's the real question, okay? Because... Kind of what I talked about last week with popcorn. Are people going because of the idea of the music festival? Oh, I enjoy all these different groups, all these different artists, all of them in one place sounds great, right? Then you see people at the actual festivals and they look sad, their feet hurt, they're tired. You sp- not I didn't even talk, talked about the money you spent. Nobody at a music festival, and I'm not even talking if you flew to one, right? Let's talk about everybody that went to Outside Lands. Outside Lands, I think, was 400 bucks for a ticket. So nobody, if you drink, if you drink, because you're going to eat, right? If you don't drink, um, you I, I, sure, I'll, if you went three days, I'm probably capping you at 200 So you spent 600 bucks. Uh, on outside lands. If you do drink, I'm adding 200 more bucks to that unless you were able to sneak in some alcohol. Um, but you probably spent 800 bucks on outside lands, right? And think about it. What is what is considered a successful music festival just in terms of how many people you like, right? So you spent 800 bucks. And, and let me preface all this by saying I've been to probably over 10 festivals, all right? So I'm just asking this for myself. As like I said, I'm turning 30 soon and my music festival days, you know, if I, if they were a basketball player leaving the prime, I mean, probably has already left the prime. Let's be honest, okay? Um, but you look at a you look at a lineup and you're probably happy with 50% of the um of the artists being artists that you want to see, right? The only way, you know, it makes sense music-wise is if you, you know, out of that 50%, all of the all of the headliners are in that 50% because those are the would be expensive if you saw them either way. Most of the time, they're not going to be because they bring in all the different genres of music. So you might like Friday's night and Sunday's night, but Saturday you're like, eh, whatever, even though Saturday is could have could have been an expensive artist, right? Uh, so most of the time what ends up happening is out of that 50%, 20 or maybe even 30% of that 50% are artists that if they, you know, sure, maybe they didn't tour to wherever you live, but if they did, you probably could see for under 30 bucks, okay? Um, and I get it. It's the experience and things like that. But when you really put the dollars and cents together, and like I said, this is for a festival that you didn't have to travel to. That's a lot of freaking money, man. That's a lot of money. And my thing is this, as I'm sitting there looking at, um, 
you know, kind of the growth of music festivals. My question is, like, how successful would music festivals be? And you could apply this to other things, but we're talking about music festivals right now. How successful would music festivals be if Instagram never existed? Instagram has created a world of people that damn near pay for things, pay for activities to do things simply to post to their Instagram. Now, some people may have made jobs out of it, but most people have it. Okay. Um, how many people that went to Outside Lands this past weekend? I don't know. The the first thing on their mind was I can't wait to post my story. I can't wait to post my picture on Instagram. And like I said, you can apply this to st- way more stuff than than music festivals, but it's probably pretty high, right? If I want like I'm just sitting here wondering how successful would music festivals be? Um, If there was no Instagram, like you want to tell people, hey, I spent this much money. So like my picture or I'm showing you that I spent this much money that I'm having this much fun and experience Would that many people spend that amount of money. If nobody knew and nobody saw you would just tell them. Right. Oh, I went to outside and you you don't um, you don't have pictures to kind of think about. um, Wow. Like that how much that looked like so much fun i should go next year because kevin went you know what i mean um so it's super super interesting and like i said i'm not hating on music festivals i go to them but um you know i think i went to like four or five last year but now and i'm going to you know austin city limits this year but it's just an understanding like i said being on the older older end of the festival crew it's kind of an understanding where it's like hey you know, we're able to stay somewhere for free, right? Um, we're, we're going somewhere that we haven't gone before. And, you know, on one of the nights, one of the headliners we don't even like, we're understanding we're eating that money in terms of how much that person added to the cost of, added to the cost of the ticket because we would rather check out Austin and see what's out there uh, for for a night. So that's all understood. Not to mention, and I've told people this before, I think I said it on the show before, Austin City Limits is way cheaper than a lot of other festivals. I don't think it was over 300 bucks before tax, obviously. But um, that's pretty crazy. I feel like it was like 260 or like 280 or something. So there are different you know, levels out there. But when you think about, and obviously the Coachellas would still do good and things like that. But when you think about kind of that second and third tier of festivals, how long would they even last if it wasn't for social media kind of being that driver in so many different ways, specifically Instagram, you know, I, I, even when Facebook or if you're old enough, MySpace, even when those things were going on, people weren't doing things. It didn't seem like people were solely doing things to uh, be able to post them later. With Instagram, it it's like, I know you. I know you don't even like half of those groups, but I know you but I know you're gonna go because you want to post it on Instagram. You know, whether you know the person or whether, you know, there's those Instagram models and Instagram stars out there that know that they it's just kind of part of the game. So I'm just so curious, how would music festivals do now if there was no Instagram? And I definitely don't think they would do as well. I think you'd have the Lollapaloozas and the um, Coachellas of the world. But these smaller ones, man, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and I would put Outside Lands in that category. Outside Lands is 
below, uh, I would say it's below Lollapalooza, and I'd say it's below below Coachella, but I would say it's above a lot of the, most of the other festivals besides those two. So, yeah, man, it's, it's very interesting. If you have any thoughts or think I'm completely out of pocket and you think music festivals would be popping either way, even if no one can give you those 500 likes that you deserve, um, that's how I like. I'm like, look, I, I need at least a third of the likes for whatever amount of money I paid. If I paid 400 bucks, I better get 100 likes. You know, that, that it's got to be close enough, okay? Um, but you know, you know what to do. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at the underscore styles, file styles with an I. If you have any thoughts on that. Okay. Next. Um, You know, I've been told on this show that I can be a little negative. Okay. And I don't think that that's necessarily untrue. So I wanted to say some positive things um, and get a list going about that. And that's why I'm talking about the things to do before the summer is over. Um, You know, it's flown by, as everything does. Like I said, we're in August here in San Francisco, Bay Area. And next is September. You know, football is going again, and that's how you know that uh, the summertime is almost over. But I have a quick list of five things to do before summer is over. And this, sorry for anybody listening that isn't in the uh, Bay Area. Some of this stuff is Bay Area specific. Some are not. Okay. So number one, this is Bay Area specific, and I've mentioned this place before, Crown Memorial Beach in Alameda. You know, a lot of people, you know, if you're on the East Bay, there's there's not a lot of places as far as water is concerned to kind of check out. And not to say that this place is anything close to like a Venice Beach or something like that, but it gets the job done. And if, you know, on a summer day, on a Saturday or a Sunday or hell, take a day off, um, you grab some sandwiches you know, as we typically do from Safeway because it's the best deal. Don't argue me on that. You know, you head down to Crown Memorial Beach and you just kind of look and chill, man. I think that's something like so, uh, you know, so important to do during the summertime. And I know what everybody's thinking if you're not from the Bay Area, um, you know, it's summertime for you guys all the time. Sure. But as I said, I'm a big summer guy. And, and there is obviously a different feel when you get within those three months and how nostalgic it can be. So I would definitely say, you know, hit up Crown Memorial Beach if you're in the Bay Area or just hit up a beach in general. You know, do a half day. It doesn't have to be a whole trip. Um, You know, just try to kind of get it in when you can. Okay, number two, I told everybody I was being basic uh, when I went to Dolores Park a couple weekends ago for my buddy's birthday. So I have to give love to where I pay rent Lake Merritt. Be sure to check out Lake Merritt, man. They have done some really cool re- renovations. Um, if on basically the if you're if you get off at Lake Merritt Bart, I would consider that consider it northwest of Lake Merritt Bart, right up there. That's where um, that's where I live. They've been, they've done some really good renovations. They put in a new park. Um, it's really looking nice over there, man. So I would say check it out while the weather's really good. Uh, I haven't ever seen it on that side get as crazy as a Dolores Park, but it's still, if you want to, the other side closer to BART does get like that. But um, I would definitely check out Lake Merritt because they, they're adding things, they're doing some some really cool renovations, and a lot of them are already done. So I would say before the summer's out, um, check that out. Okay, number three, I would say some type of event that involves 
day drinking. Everyone knows I'm a huge day drinker. Um, and there's just something that is just so summer to me about day drinking, right? Uh, you know, there's some house music playing in the background. And I don't know why I always think of house music. I feel like I'm on a deck, you know, and I, you know, you could throw on anything really. Throw on some Maroon 5. Throw on whatever artist that makes you feel like you're never going to be old, okay? And you know those artists are out there. Just music that makes you feel good, like, we're living in this moment. We're going to be this age forever, you know? Put on something like that. Um do some day drinking. Uh, if you are in the Bay Area, the 20th Street Block Party uh, in San Francisco is this weekend. It's put on by, it's in connection with Noise Pop. So there's going to be, you know, bands playing, musical artists, and then obviously food, vendors like that. Uh, so that would be a great kind of ender to the summer if you are in the area. But if not, find whatever it is in your area and wake up at 11, crack open a Truly or a White Claw because there ain't no law. When you're drinking claw, okay? Or, you know, stay traditional, right? Crack open a brewski. Make sure it's before noon and get it popping, man. Really get it going, okay? Uh, number four, kind of connected with day drinking, it could be, is go to a baseball game. You know, people, baseball gets a bad rap. You know, it really does. Um, it can be boring, but hey, if you day drink for a day game, show up in the third, um, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, right? And there is just something, like I said, again, so nostalgic, so summer to me about baseball in the summer. I think that if you are interested in baseball and if you like baseball, this is a good time to take someone who isn't because you could definitely, you could definitely uh, convert them. And if you aren't interested in baseball, look, man, I've said it before. Turn on the TV, okay? Check out the highlights on SportsCenter. Them seats have been empty, okay? It's pretty cheap at this point. It's not cheap in the stadium, but you can get yourself a ticket to basically every every ballpark um, in the league under 20 bucks, besides maybe the Red Sox and the Yankees. So... Like, it's not like it's a big, it's going to blow your wallet out of the park. And if you don't really care about baseball like that, you don't need to be that close, okay? It's just kind of the ambiance and the feeling of being there. And number five, take a road trip. Uh, last year, this actually wasn't even in the summer, but, you know, we went down to uh, San Luis Obispo, Pismo Beach area, and it was great, man. It's just kind of, it's again, very summer thing to do. Get in a car and just drive, throw on some tunes, make a summer playlist, and just hang out, man. Um, this year, obviously, did, this, did the boys' trip uh, up to Tahoe, and it was great, you know. It, it's just always fun to to get in a car, and there's something very old school about it. Um, you know, you lose – sometimes you'll lose – service so you got to talk to each other you play i spy things like that find somewhere and again doesn't have to be a even a full weekend trip you know you go for a night leave in the morning come back the day after nobody has to even take off work um so yeah i would say definitely take a road trip before the summer's out you got a couple more weeks here so i would definitely do that okay last thing to end and then um going to insert what I talked about on the LAE, the Lucas SQ experience. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is the craziest thing I've seen this week. 
okay? I don't know if this is going to be a segment, but I just had to put this on this episode because it was wild, all right? So I get off BART, um, and basically the main one of the main streets in San Francisco, Market Street, uh, the light was red going that way. So pedestrians had the light to cross that street. A bunch of bikers didn't care. So a bunch of bikers were just riding along, and this older guy who's probably in his mid-50s, he had time. Like, he had time on that day to let them know how he felt. So basically, um, all these bikers are going by, and he is ripping all of them a new one. So he is just yelling, yelling, and yelling. Then a motorized, you know, I don't know if you've seen those motorized skateboards. One of those guys comes cruising by and the older guy just gets in front of him he just stands in front of him and i still have my headphones on but i'm watching all of this uh debating whether i should put it on my instagram story or not but you know when things just happen a little too fast and you don't get to you're like dang it i should have done that but anyway i'm wa- i'm watching all this as you know my meek mill is playing and this guy is just getting in him so basically the guy he you know he gave him like three minutes two three minutes and he's like, you know, I've had enough. So he gets off of his board, walks to the right of the guy, expecting the guy to, you know, you know, be like, I've said my piece, you know, we'll move on. Um, but he doesn't. He follows the guy. Then as the guy gets back on his board, uh, he is basically shoulder to shoulder with the guy. The guy starts moving on his board. The older guy starts moving with him. Uh And as the guy kind of cranks up the speed, the older guy grabs at his shirt. And luckily for him, uh, the guy was able to get away. And the guy, the older guy, continued to jog after him. I don't even know when he stopped. I lost view because a bus got in the way. I don't even know when he stopped. And it's like, look, man, I understand you're salty. But that's the thing about driving and, you know, vehicles and pedestrians. You can only let someone have it so much and really you're letting them have it to let them know what they did was wrong in hopes that they don't do it again there's nothing you can do to get them to change what happened in that moment and all you're going to do is end up catching a case and you're going to wake up the next morning because that guy falls off his board hits his head and say dang it now i'm in a lot of trouble like i'm an idiot so look i feel the older guy Nobody was paying attention to, you know, the crosswalk sign. He picked out one, um, and he was good until he followed the guy, A, and B, put his hands on him. Because you cannot put your hands on people, okay? So it all it, it all escalated quickly because I'm, you know, and there was at least 15 people watching because it's like, yeah, get him, get him, get him. Then it's like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Oh, no, don't do that. And it's like, luckily for him, the guy got away because I know people out there looking for a case. I might be one of those people. I probably slip off that board on purpose. Like, my neck, my back, you're going to pay me all that back. You know what I mean? That might be me. So you really don't know who's out here in these streets trying to finagle a situation and even if you are in your feelings clearly this has happened to him before and clearly you know he was annoyed but you cannot do stuff like that um so that was the craziest thing i've seen all week hopefully that is the craziest thing i'll see for the rest of the week um but it's wild man 
So here we go. That's all I have on my end of things by myself for this week. Next, you are going to be hearing me on the LAE, the Lucas Ask You Experience. Let's get right on into it. I have a big appreciation for college football, so I obviously have some opinions. And uh, last last week, I, I heard you debate about uh, whether Clemson, the, the run that Clemson is on, is good for college football. Right. So uh, let me just start by saying you better believe it is. Okay. I, I feel like that Clemson, uh, I have to vehemently disagree with, with your, your take on this. Uh, so I'm glad we have the chance to banter here right. because Clemson is not only good for college football, they are great for college football. And as an SEC guy, that right. pains me beyond belief because I still believe the SEC is the best conference. Right. And obviously the Clemson is the ACC. But Clemson, tremendous story. Number one, the, the, I, I listed my points because I wanted to, to make okay. sure. So number one, they are the start of a new blue chip program. People love following your your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your Texas of the world. Um, but obviously the, these programs have very rich traditions. It's tough to, to make your way in there. But Clemson, they've, they've done it through like overhauling their facilities, having a lot of donor money. And looking back at their history, they actually weren't slouches. Like they had in the 1950s, they actually weren't that bad of a program. I, I, I didn't think that they were, that, they were that good, but after doing the research, they've obviously kind of d- done something to, uh, to bring that program up. They've consistent coaching staff. Brent Venables uh, is mentioned every time, the defensive coordinator. I don't think he'll ever leave. That's what I was going to say. When coaching. is he going to leave? I have no idea because Brent Venables, also Kirk Herbstreit's favorite defensive coordinator of all time, loves mentioning Venables. Um, but he feel he gets paid well, right? Multiple millions of dollars. Doesn't feel he needs a head coaching job, like. And this leads into my number two point because the head coach Dabo Sweeney has just built something. This culture that people love playing for him. He's a, a players' coach. He's also a coach's coach. Right. He's an athletic director's coach. He's everybody's coach. And that, especially in the world of Nick Saban, he's the antithesis of like this hard nosed guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still like asks a lot from his players. And I think third of why I think Clemson's great for college football, they provide an actual rivalry because people love rivalries mm-hmm. in sports. You you have your Yankees, Sox, your Tar Heels, Blue Devils, but you need that strong other side. And, and Alabama had just been rolling through college football for years. Now they've got a, a another team, another program that might be better than them, but at right. least on that on par. Um, so, yes, it gets a little bit boring that you are watching Alabama Clemson every year in the national championship, but I think Clemson is great for college football. They're, they're the, a new upstart that can build a program. And, yeah, I'd love to, uh, love to hear your, your, your thoughts. Well, first of all, there's a lot to unpack here uh, with everything you said. So I'm probably not going to remember all of it, but I'm just going to kind of go. J- j- just spitball. Just, I'm just, just going to kind of go as the wind blows, right? So, yeah, you're right. Last week on my episode, I said I didn't think that they were good for college football. And the question is this, what does that even mean? Good for who, right? I'm talking about like, and like I said, I grew up there. Everybody has those colleges that they like for no reason, whether they're, it's the 
colors, whether it's a player. Clemson is one of those schools for me. For I really loved orange when I was a kid, so I loved Clemson, Syracuse, all those schools. No connection to any of them, right? So Tennessee, me, volunteers? Tennessee, love yeah. Tennessee. Okay. You know what I mean? I still root, I root for all these schools now for absolutely no reason. No reason. So let me preface everything that I said, you know, by starting with that. Um, I would liken, and obviously there isn't, I guess if you look at Tua and Sunshine, it's kind of close to star power in college football. It's as close as you're going to get. But it, it's kind of like when this past run that we just saw with the Warriors and the Cavs, right? The first time the Warriors and the Cavs played, which is like the first time uh, Clemson and Alabama played, right? You had Deshaun. And they lost – Clemson lost that year, right? So you had Deshaun, who was kind of like the Steph Curry, like the, 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 new, the new guy. Then Alabama is just LeBron in general. Just the whole team is just LeBron. And it was like, cool, this is cool, this is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reverse, right, because the next year, that's when Deshaun came back and won. Um, Thanks to Hun- Hunter Renfro. Hunter the, Renfro, uh, new Oakland Raider. Uh, really? Raider fan, yes. Wow. That yeah, so the even though it's reverse, it was kind of the same thing. Clemson was this upstart situation, right? And the same, but everything remains the same. In the NBA, people, Steph and that crew, especially once they got KD, they were no longer uh, even the even the year that they lost a three one, they were no longer the upstart because they had this great season, and it was kind of like cool, like Steph is cool. Clay is cool, and I'm I'm talking as someone who has no connection to the Bay or Cleveland, LeBron. Cool, right? All right, great. That's what I'm seeing here with Clemson, Alabama. That the the Warriors and the Cavs were never really a rivalry. They just kept on playing each other in championship. Okay, so you're Clemson, saying this is more manufactured yeah, rivalry because they just keep playing each other. Clemson, Alabama. The only connection, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that Dabo went to Alabama. There's no other real connection. Like we talked about in the office, put Clemson in the ACC or in the SEC, completely different story. But as it stands now, cool, man. You know, Clemson runs through their ACC conference. Uh, Bama loses probably to Georgia in the regular season. Doesn't matter because they beat them when it matters. Exactly. And then they play each other in the championship. And if you're not connected to Clemson and if you're not connected to Alabama, you don't care. That's what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, although Alabama's are always there, Alabama evokes emotion. Like I, just like I want Clemson to win and all those teams, Alabama is a team I always want to lose. And you're either on that side of the so fence. So like, you care about like sports. the Duke Blue Devils, like the Yankees. Sure, um, but you, emotions. the teams that they play, right? Those come in and out, and nobody care. Like. Clemson won the first time. Cool. Now they won a second time. Awesome. But people aren't like, they don't evoke that emotion if you're not connected to them. I just think that it's better when it's the Blue Bloods. If it was Alabama, Notre Dame. If it was Alabama, Texas. Alabama, Oklahoma. That evokes emotion even for people in California and Washington that don't care. Nobody cares about Clemson. So is it is it going to take Clemson kind of rolling through for the next decade? Like I mentioned, they are an up-and-coming blue-chip program. Yes, I would so say like, yes. But the I would consistency, say, but right now. I would say the consistency helps, and obviously the other side of it. 
Alabama has to fall off. You cannot keep playing Alabama or people are just going to be tired of it. So I think if Alabama, if they ever cool off, even if Georgia can, you know, figure it out and Clemson beats some different teams and now Clemson is the new Alabama, then you have a whole generation of kids that grew up just like we can't remember when the Patriots weren't good, right? Now you have a generation of kids. You have a generation of kids right now that can't remember when Alabama wasn't good. Now you have a generation of, at that point, you would have a generation of kids that never knew Clemson wasn't good. And now they 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 have connections to Clemson for no reason besides them being good. And now they're a villain. They're just nothing at this point. They're just in the middle. Got it. So you, you know? you're saying it's more of a generational thing. If, yeah, if, and it's it part of being blue bloods. Like Alabama could that. lose the next five years, not even make it to the championship. If they get into the championship in that sixth year, people are still going to want them to lose. I would still want them to lose because it feels like they're always there, right? Yes. Even those couple years where the Patriots didn't make it to the Super Bowl, it people, people feels don't, people like don't remember in, that. People, yeah, it feels like they were in the Super Bowl. You know, so that's why I don't think. I, it's not, and it's not even a dig on Clemson. I just think this situation is not good for college football. Of like, they have what was it better than an eighty percent chance to win every game, and like eighty eight percent chance of winning their that's conference absurd. this season. And Unreal. Alabama, this is ACC. This is not chopped liver, right? And then Alabama, on the other hand, they could lose two, one, two, one maybe two games. Yeah, but the, definitely the one. good thing definitely with them, one. they they can lose one. It doesn't even matter with the, the right. playoff. They, they will be in the top four. They could definitely lose one. And some of it is what, and this is what another thing we talked about in the office is what have you done for me lately? Out here, out west, okay, the Cal Bears, okay, in Berkeley, they could go twelve and 0, 16 and zero, and they're not in the top four. You know what I mean? So what what are we doing? It's Justin it's, Wilcox will have his. They are one of the best defensive teams in the right. nation this season. What are we doing? Underrated. It's it, it's getting to the point where it's getting um, eerily close to prior to the playoff. All right, guys, that's it. Hope you enjoyed that segment. Hope you enjoyed all the segments. As always, thank you for supporting and listening to your boy ramble on and on and on. Be sure to listen to the LAE, my episode, and his past episodes and his future episodes. Lucas Askew, great insight on college football and college sports and a bunch of other things going on. I am sure about that. As always, follow me on Instagram and or Twitter. At the underscore Styles Files, Styles with an I. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. Like I said, get out there. Enjoy that summer sun while it's still there. Enjoy the long days. I know I love them too. And until next time, my friends, be safe, be well, be wise. Peace.